Michael Jordan's got his restaurant in Chicago. Coach Don Shula, the Miami Dolphins, he's got a steakhouse. But WCW's own world heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan, he's got pasta mania in the Mall of America. I want to try to get a word with him if I can squeeze in there. Hulk Hogan coming up. Debut edition of Monday Nitro. You've got Big Bub in the main event. Who's the greatest wrestler in the world? You know something, Eric Bischoff? Tonight on Monday Nitro, Pasta Mania is going to all my Hulkamaniacs running wild. And I've eaten so many Hulkaroos and Hulkaroos, I kind of feel sorry for Big Bubba, brother. Because tonight, brother, first time on TNT, I'm putting the WCW heavyweight title on the line. And with Pasta Mania running through my brain, who's going to beat Big Bubba tonight, Hulkamaniacs? And when I'm done dragging him around the Mall of America and all my pasta maniacs are tearing their WCW shirts off, brother, I'm going to give Big Bubba a dose of my Hulkaroos up there, and then I'm going to body slam him again. You know, with little Hulkamaniacs like that, pasta maniacs all around the Mall of America, Big Bubba, you better tighten up that waist on, brother, because the Hulkster slim and trim. I've been eating my pasta mania, and what you gonna do in the Mall of America, brother, when Hulk Hogan, pasta mania, and all my pasta maniacs run wild on you? What's he gonna do? All right. Swim so free, heaven above and sea below, and a little white whale on the go, two, three, four, baby beluga. The Capitol Hill to work out a compromised health care plan, he lost his voice after his State of the Union speech. A roof collapsed at a supermarket in France. At soccer bopper, soccer bopper, more fun than a pillow fight. Blow him up. Battle against muscular dystrophy rages on as WCW presents All Brawl War Games. Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, Sting, and Vader join forces to fight against muscular dystrophy. Help MDA fight the battle against muscular dystrophy and help out my pals. WCW presents All Brawl War Games. Sunday, September 17th, live on pay-per-view to benefit MDA. And welcome to episode 18 of the New Generation Project podcast, where we honour the heroes of Hulkamania and analyse the architects of attitude in looking at the dark ages of the WWF, the mid-90s. Today, we look at the beginning of the Monday Night Wars in an episode we've dubbed Raw vs Nitro, round one. My name is Stuart Brooks and I'm joined today by our very own mega powers. It's the immortal Paul Scrivens. Holla. And macho man Adam Wikes. Hello. 
How are you both doing today? Brilliant. Uh, really, really very good, thank you. Yeah, quite good. I was playing a bit of Raw versus Smackdown 2006 in general manager mode earlier, and that, that was fantastic. Did you have a good birthday? It was very nice, thank you, yeah. yeah. I went to see Guardians of the Galaxy, with you, in fact. You did indeed. And it was marvellous. I see what you did there, marvellous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was pretty good. Clever, yeah, clever. Thanks. And we watched the new Paul Heyman DVD as well, didn't we? Yes, which was... Fantastic. Well, yeah, really, really good. It makes you wonder why all WWE documentaries aren't of that quality. Yeah, because some of them are a bit shit, really, aren't they? Yeah, you kind of got the Punk, the Jericho, I'd say the Bret Hart and the Hamer ones that now sort of stand out yeah. above the others. Now. Really, really top And then you get draw. some really shoddy ones, like I remember the Mr. Perfect ones, like an hour long and sort of glosses yeah. over a lot of stuff. And it should be really good, but isn't. But yeah, absolute recommended purchase yeah, for really, really out good. There. And Paul, you baked a New Generation Project podcast cake. I did. Adam was quite sceptical that I'd baked it myself, but I had. I've got to say, it's one of the best cakes that I've ever baked. It turns out that it was all scrivens and... Very, very accurately done. Well done, Paul. Yeah, I, I tried to copy it off, off off your mug. So they are available for twenty four ninety nine for birthdays and weddings, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took a long time to make, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, I quite enjoy baking. The thing that I don't enjoy is cleaning up afterwards. The same can be said of other things. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy the baking part. Yes. Yeah. Okay, let's well, move on, <laughs> shall we? Is that the most lewd thing you've said on the podcast? I've had a beer. (laughs) I'm not going to enlighten you to us what the reference was about. I will point out that we don't normally record in the evening, and this may very possibly be why. Yeah. Paul's had a beer. And you've had a Jaeger bomb. It's because I had an afternoon nap and I was a little sleepy. (laughs) (laughs) So any kids out there that like afternoon naps, yeah. (laughs) Have a Jaeger bomb when you wake up. It'll sort you right out. Give the baby scrivens when he wakes up. The the hazards are real. (laughs) Please, please don't try naps at home. You may be sleepy afterwards. (laughs) May cause drowsiness. Moving swiftly on. (laughs) Before we kick off today, we need to send out a huge thanks to Mark Muse of MuseProductions.com, who got the audio from SummerSlam 1995 for us. As I mentioned last episode, the DVD fucked up and wouldn't rip past a certain point, so we're really grateful to Mark for bailing us out on that. Yes, thank you very much. Cheers. Because I'm OCD about having all the promos in there and I'd have not been able to sleep over the fact that there was only half of them in there. (laughs) You wouldn't have been able to nap. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. Check out Mark's website where he does video reviews of a bunch of different stuff, including raw music videos and sitcoms, including the oft-mentioned-to-us Stacked, starring Pamela Anderson. Ah. It's on there, so I'd advise you give that a watch, Adam. It looks rubbish. I really probably should watch <laughs> it, though, I think, you know. To complete... Better or worse than The Marine 3. Oh, yeah, that, that was awful. Yeah, we watched that this morning. Dreadful. A wonderful, wonderful present bought for me You're by, welcome. By, by Stuart. So I forced him to watch it as well because it was kind of a punishment, I guess. My fault. Not My favourite th- part of it was where he compared himself to Clint Eastwood in the extras. Yeah. <laughs> that it was wa- brilliant. It wasn't the worst film I've ever seen, but it was close. Anyway, Mark's website is muesproductions.com where you can find all of his videos. So thank you very much to Mark for getting that audio to us. So today we're discussing television shows in their order. So we've looked at some TV matches before, but we've never actually sat down and watched full episodes of TV shows. So I thought I'd ask you two today, what for you makes a good episode of a wrestling TV show? I I think if it's an episodic TV show, it's got to have some good content in terms of wrestling. It's got to have some good promos, some good comedy in there somewhere. It doesn't have to be a lot. I'm not after a comedy show, but I want a couple of laughs. Yeah, Adam? 
it's got to be about quality rather than quantity. I'd rather have a very good show that was two hours or one and a half hours rather than a big pile of shit that was three hours. Don't particularly want to see in a three-hour show 20 minutes of the ident. I'd like to see <laughs> decent amount of matches and a sensible amount of storyline. So not just too heavy on storyline and actually have some decent amount of wrestling within it. Yeah, I might have missed out storyline, but storyline, yes. Well, what's been interesting in watching the Raws, and I've watched quite a lot of Nitros as well in doing this project is that one hour TV shows for wrestling are actually really easy to digest and I much prefer that now I think to watching the three hour roars because you find yourself yeah. fast forwarding through a lot of stuff and NXT I think is the one show that I watch on a weekly basis and I watch the full hour of because it's only an hour long and obviously when you've been watching these I've seen quite a few of them yeah. go through and I watch I, I kind of agree with you in the fact that they, they are easier to watch and therefore more enjoyable Yeah, as a smaller I say a quality over quantity well it's not always quality yeah but, but the, the but, thing is I think when something's bad on these hour long shows it lasts three minutes rather than 15 yeah so you don't yeah. feel like you're being sort of screwed out of your own life by like yeah. a 20 minute crap segment plus there just seems something asked backwards to me about the fact that the weekly television show, okay, probably take away adverts, but is longer than the pay-per-views. Yeah. It just seems odd to me. Like, surely those TV shows should build to the bigger show where you're more willing to invest a lot of time in that. And the pay-per-view should be something big and special, while it's the only thing now that eclipses the, like, three-hour Raw is WrestleMania. It's a four-hour WrestleMania. Yeah. So, for this episode, we put up a caption competition for the rather splendid photo of a white shirt-clad Lex Luger wandering out on the debut episode of Nitro, standing in front of the Great Train Store. So, we got a bunch of excellent responses for this, as as usual, but here are our 11 favourite captions in no particular order. That's a very specific number to choose. Well, I had 10, but then I missed one, and then I couldn't cut one of my 10. (laughs) Okay. And the one I missed, actually, was my favourite one, although I did say it's in no particular order. (laughs) Hi, I'm Lex. I'll be your waiter this evening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was a particularly good one. It's Daz. Yeah. <laughs> Rhymes with Taz. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a new job in this shopping mall, but I'm crap at selling. <laughs> that I really like. Was that yeah. your favourite? No, that the next one's my favourite. Okay. You'll like this as well. Come on, Jimmy Anderson, pick on someone your own size. <laughs> <laughs> a reference to the, uh, the the little Jimmy Anderson, Ravinda, the J, no, I can't pronounce the name. Just <laughs> Asia. Like, like the, the thing that, that made me wary of it. I've never really had a problem pronouncing it before, but then somebody pointed out on Twitter that all the commentators were pronouncing it wrongly and all the pundits were pronouncing Excellent. it wrongly. I think it's Bobby Bamba. I've um, started to think that actually Jimmy Anderson with his new hair and sort of unkempt beard look looks a bit like Fandango. So, is there any Japanese guys here I can slam? <laughs> That's a good question for his yeah. debut. Mm-hmm. Lex Luger's side job as a waiter at Hulk Hogan's Pasta Mania was exposed by Nitro taking place on level two. Ooh, very good. Yes. Yep. With the defection of Lex Luger, the mullet night war takes a huge turn. You're damn right. He brings a whole new quality. Must resist urge to adjust pants. <laughs> There's a few pants to just ones. Yeah. I know I parked the Lex Express around here somewhere. <laughs> bit, on, bit on the edge, this one. My Klansman hat got lost in the post. What? Clansman. He's all dressed in white, isn't he? He's missing the hood. Oh, oh yes. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, the penny just dropped there. Yeah. And the last one is, I know the Lex Express failed, but what if it wasn't a bus, but a train? Where did I get that idea from? <laughs> it just came to me. 
So, as we discussed a few episodes ago, in the spring, WCW announced their intention to launch a live Monday Night Wrestling show to compete against the WWF's Monday Night Raw, with a target launch date of August 1995. The story of how Nitro came to be has been told many times by Eric Bischoff, so I'll just quickly recap it. Eric is in a meeting with Ted Turner, Harvey Schiller and Scott Sasser, where he is attempting to pitch an international television deal with Star TV in China. Bischoff is nervous as Star TV is owned by Rupert Murdoch and he knows Turner hates Murdoch. Interrupting, Ted asks how he can compete with the WWF. Eric, having not prepared to answer this question, thinks on his feet and says that WCW needs primetime television, as that's the main thing WWF has that WCW doesn't. Ted looks at Scott Sasser and says, uh, Scott, give Eric two hours every Monday night on TNT. This wasn't the answer anybody was expecting. Bischoff and his team did some research and spoke to fans about what they liked in wrestling. The two words he found cropping up again and again were unpredictable and spontaneous. Looking at how to make his show different from the WWF and to encapsulate the qualities he felt fans enjoyed, Bischoff made the decision for Nitro to be live. He saw who the WWF were catering to at the time, kids. Bischoff decided his show would target 18 to 39 year old males. He also looked at how his competition stories played out. They were over the top and some like a live action cartoon. Bischoff chose to make his show storylines more reality based. He also intended to make a major departure from how wrestling was traditionally promoted. There would be no tune in next week to see this match type promos rammed down the audience's throat. If you wanted to see what happened next week, you'd have to tune in to find out. Some of the qualities I mentioned weren't there right away. The Dungeon of Doom can't really be considered a reality based <laughs> storyline. I was going to point that out, yeah. But in time, Bischoff and his team would certainly deliver on what they'd researched their target audience wanted. So I think you saw a bit of the early 96 storyline, Adam, where Miss Elizabeth turns on Macho Man and sides with Flair and she's got all of his money and Macho goes yeah. mental and they won't let him in the arena. I guess that's a bit more reality-based. Um, yeah, and Flair comes out with his sort of dining table yeah, and he, Macho's and money. And, and they're making it clear each week that they're spending yeah, his money. Yeah. Yeah. Not being sure he could fill a big arena with his debut episode, Bischoff chose to run the debut in the Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Also another attempt to make the show both look and feel different from Monday Night Raw. And so, on September the 4th, 1995, WCW launched Monday Nitro on TNT. The opening episode went unopposed as Raw was pre-empted that week, so he definitely had the wrestling audience's attention. The show kicked off with a match between Brian Pillman and Japanese star Jushin Thunder Liger, followed by a bout between WCW United States champion Sting against Ric Flair, during which WWF star Lex Luger wandered out to ringside, hand on hips, looking around. Adjusting his pants. The show's main event was WCW world champion Hulk Hogan against Big Bubba, aka the Big Boss Man. Following a standard Hogan victory, Kevin Sullivan and his Dungeon of Doom, Zodiac, Meng, and Kamala attacked until Luger came out to make the save. Sting and Randy Savage would enter the ring to calm simmering tensions between Hulk and Lex. Hogan asked Luger why he was there, with Luger saying that he was sick of taking on kids and was back in WCW, where the big boys play, to become world champion. A match was then made for the second episode of Nitro, with Hogan defending his WCW title against returnee Luger. The format of this show was in stark contrast to Raw at the time, as that show was primarily made up of two or three squash matches and one kind of marquee match each week. WCW eschewed this format. All stars, no jobbers. There would be no Ken Raper here. 
If Luger's defection was the first shot fired in the Monday Night War, then providing all star versus star matches was certainly the second. Vince McMahon and the WWF would be forced to change the way they produced their weekly television product because of this. I thought what was quite interesting in reading Bischoff's research into what the audience wanted, he seemed determined to make his show different. And as a competitor, surely that would make sense to you, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To provide an alternative. And it kind of brought to mind the recent problems of, well, not only recent problems, but TNA's problems since the last eight years, basically. They're they're trying to be WWE light. Yeah. And it almost made me wish they'd read that chapter of Bischoff's book and say, actually, we should make our show different. And then people who aren't entertained by that show will tune into ours. And in the beginning, didn't they have something a bit different? Yeah, they they were, I would say. And then it just suddenly, it, it yeah, it tried to ape the WWE. WWE, and you just end up coming off as a cheap imitation yeah. rather and than something alternative. Yeah, I mean, I used to really enjoy watching TNA. Probably about two thousand and five. Yeah, that was when was it was it? really good. I used to really enjoy, it and I thought this is a company that that's got the potential to really go places. The the in room product was way better, actually. Would you say you liked it because it was something different? Yes, oh definitely. And I thought, yeah, this is this is a company that's that's going to grow and grow and have some real competition. Obviously, boy, I was wrong. The idea of anyone being kind of second to WWE these days feels pretty ludicrous, or even the notion of anyone competing with them. But you do feel like someone, obviously, yeah, they'd have to have billions and billions of dollars, but they would have to come along with a product that was different. And that's what I think TNA never really managed to understand, was that if people wanted to watch WWE-style wrestling, they would just watch WWE. Yeah, there's no way that they could ever really compete with the production values and distribution of the WWE. So why produce something that is the same as it? You have to go for a different market. With the preemption of Raw, the week Nitro debuted, we've decided to look at the September the 11th shows, and this would be actually the first time the two shows would go head-to-head. Also, following a two-week break after SummerSlam, the WWF would be branding this episode of Raw as the season premiere of Raw, complete with new intro video in an effort to compete with the launch of WCW's show. It was a cracker. So did they actually have seasons, or is this just a made-up thing? No, it's just a, a marketing So it's point, like a, re, a relaunch to try and yeah. make it seem a bit fresher and yeah. a bit newer. like saying to compete with Nitro, yeah. and that that's been on the air a week. They've rebudged it, you fool. Exactly. So the first show we're going to look at is WWE Raw. We chose to watch it in this order basically because, well, Bischoff gives away the results of Raw in the first 10 minutes of Nitro, so it made sense for us to kind of watch Raw first. So this was actually taped the 28th of August in Canton, Ohio, in front of a crowd of 1,600. So this is actually the day after SummerSlam. Ah. But it's just not aired for a couple of weeks. We open with a new intro theme. What did you make to that? It's shit. It's It's terrible. It's really kind of soft and slow, and it doesn't. It almost feels like with the video that they're, they're trying to get to like big, fast-paced action type thing, and they've just got this kind of slow, melodic crap going on. No, it's 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 very much a departure, I think, from what I was expecting. Kind of the whole raw kind of. It sounds very raw, guttural. Yeah, it, it's kind of aggressive. It's an aggressive word. Yeah, and it's it's like a soap. Is yeah. Best way I can describe what did you make it. to the actual video itself of the wrestlers on the roof of Titan Towers having a bit of a Barney? The video, fine. I, I thought that was all right. I thought it was silly. You thought it was silly? I, again, it lacked it lacked any kind of edge or aggression, I thought. Well, did it not make the wrestlers seem larger than life? No. Not, not to me. Like, did it, I didn't think, oh, God, there's Bam Bam Bigelow. He's larger than life. Well, <laughs> it's not spectacular, but I didn't think, yeah, it, I didn't I, think I it was bad. I thought the video bad. itself was all right. It, yeah. it was different to what you normally yeah, got in the opening. Yeah. The vocal version of the theme actually only lasts a week. It gets replaced. It becomes an instrumental version, which is actually much better. 
Right. Fits it a lot more. Our hosts are Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler. Where are they? I don't know. In front of a big green screen. I didn't pick up on that. Actually. No, I, one thing that I did notice from this episode and watching a couple of the Raws previously, it, the arena seems darker. Yeah. It's like they've given it a slightly different tone. Well, there's only 1,600 people. There. So, yeah, yeah if someone's had the great idea. If we turn off some of the lights, you won't be able to tell that it's not actually yeah, that there's big. there's barely anyone there. Yeah. We get a tiny bit of pyro as they hype Sid versus Sean and Bulldog versus Razor, which is our opening match, the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith versus Razor Ramon. Razor is out first, and Vince runs down the Razor Ramon Dean Douglas business at SummerSlam, and we see the clip. Razor poses in front of his golden shower. Adam, talk us through Razor Ramon's pants. Well, they're kind of gold on black. How's, how's the logo of I mean, you don't get massive close-ups of his pants, obviously. But I thought maybe the logo had evolved slightly. I think it's got a coloured trim around the edge mm. of it. But I, I, like I said, I think he's settled on one particular set of pants. Yeah. And that's what enough. he's going with now. I think we, we're seeing a fairly consistent look to them. Hopefully he's washed them. If it's the day after the... <laughs> or he's got match. multiple pairs. Oh, that, that could be the other option. Bulldog is out next and he's had a haircut and picked up Jim Cornette as a manager. Mm. What did you make to Bulldog's new look? He came out wearing a rug. Yeah, he had some cape. sort of weird sort of gold looped thing and yeah. the British flag was on it the was, back. It was very much kind of like the sort of thing somebody's nan would have in the 1970s. It was very much that kind of colour. It was kind of yellowy, beigey. Yeah, it, it, was, it was It was odd, but he yeah. was wearing, wearing it as a cape. Well, the, the, the Union Jack thing, he's always done that. And that yeah. looked really cool, but yeah, when he turns around, he looks like an extra from Star Wars. He and looks really different with short hair as well, I think. And his tights look different as well. He's, he's got yeah. kind of what, it just said ball down one side, you know, I think blue and dog yeah but this is quite nice because he's had he's he's a change of character yeah he's had a heel turn so he's changed the look so look a bit i I quite like the fact that he's done that. i thought the whole package made him look a bit trimmer yeah yeah definitely did apparently he was quite nervous about turning heel initially as obviously played a face his entire career Mm. is this the first time he's really gone heel yeah i've just started reading sean michael's autobiography i haven't started at the start because i don't really i'm never really interested in in the very early (laughs) beginnings of people i don't really want to know what their life is like when they were for and what happened to them one Christmas or anything. But (laughs) there is an interesting bit where he's talking about where him and Marty go to, they've kind of gone to WWF and kind of got kicked out and and then they're going around and it talks about them going to to work as heels for the first time. So they kind of, it was very liberating um, in terms of developing character and it Mm. kind of benefited him a lot. You got a lot more freedom to do things. Yeah, I think people develop their characters a bit more as heels than they do as baby faces, yeah. Yeah. I'd Mm. go with that. Vince tells us that Bulldog will face Bam Bam Bigelow in your house three razor throws his toothpick at jim Cornette, and we get some usa chance we open with an arm ringer by razor which is countered by the bulldog who does his kip up and roll through side headlock and a punch by razor razor clotheslines bulldog to the outside and does a bit of posing he does yeah Nice. Is it around about this time that is it Vince mentions that this is the premiere of Raw that we see in Europe? So yes, it's the, yeah. it's, the, it's the first time that's on this, Sky Sports. Yeah, that's been shown on Sky Sports. So I take it this wasn't the age of the internet. No one's been able to see. No, we only Raw. got Raw through clips packages on stuff like WWF Mania, which used to be on on a Saturday morning, and whatever bits would be shown on Superstars. We always got Superstars. But from this point on, we in Europe have received Raw, Raw. for the first time. Interesting Absolutely. landmark on the outside Bulldog strategizes with Cornette. We get an arm ringer into a hammerlock by Razor and some bit more wrestling work than we're used to from him. Yeah. He gets Bulldog down and slaps him round the back of the head. He then pulls Bulldog's lack of hair, which was a bit that of an was, odd spot. It, it was because he really didn't have anything to grab. It was like just grabbing his scalp. <laughs> it almost like he forgot Bulldog had had mm. a haircut and now couldn't grab it. Bulldog whips Razor into opposite corners and then hits a stalling standing suplex. Which it, is it very is, nice. It is 
beautiful, isn't it? What, what did you think of the crowd in this match? Because you got two fairly big names, and there was some noise, but I don't think they were kind of really into it. I know you said it's small. Place. It's hard to know with these pre-taped roars because you don't know what noise has been sweetened. Bulldog with clubs to Razor's lower back, but Razor fights back with a fist. Bulldog takes back over and hits a clothesline for a two and a gorilla press slam. Very strong guy. Razor's 300 pounds. Yeah. He does some posing and he does have decent heat for a fresh heel turn if the yeah, noise yeah. isn't sweetened. Back from break and Razor kicks out at a two. We don't know how he got there, but that's the <laughs> problem with breaks in wrestling, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Bulldog goes for the running power slam, but Razor falls down on him for a two. Bulldog goes to the top rope, but Razor gets up and slams him off and hits a spinning fist and a sack of shit for a two count. And very nicely done. Yeah, I thought, that, I, thought, really nice. I thought that little section of the match was, was quite nice. Razor accidentally whips the Bulldog into the ref and sets Bulldog up for the edge with a bit of a struggle, but he does hit it. He goes for the cover, but Tim White is still out of it. Dean Douglas runs down, goes to the top and hits Razor in the back of the neck. The kid appears to help Razor, but Dean takes care of him and leaves. In the ring, Bulldog hits his running slam kid goes to the top rope and attempts to splash the bulldog but bulldog moves and he hits razor instead bulldog takes the kid down again and hits a gorilla press over the top rope and cornet gets some kicks in as well and there's no real result for the match it's not really announced who's won no. i presume it's bulldog by dq it is bulldog by dq yeah it's, it's, i mean they, they do announce it but like vince really talks through it yeah in the interview afterwards what did you make to the meat of the match we actually got good work by by both the guys and i think a bit of a bullshit finish and I thought that the kid's entrance is mostly useless he comes in just gets immediately battered it's by the Douglas. Lex Luger quality of running yeah and then ends up spashing the guy that he came in to help anyways it's not a great moment for him. For me, it was quite interesting. I thought that I was really looking forward to the match because I, I, I've liked what I've seen of Bulldog. I'm quite a big fan of Fraser, I'd say. Now I've got really got into his work. But I didn't think the early running was at the kind of pace that I thought it might be. It was a little bit slower and kind of a bit more plodding. There was nice spots, but it was kind of just didn't have the pace to it. I actually quite enjoyed it from the kind of running from Dean Douglas and stuff after that. It was a bit of a kind of a melee and it kind of broke down a bit. But I kind of enjoyed the angle side of it. Kind of like the ending overall. I know Overall, it was decent, but not stand out. I think we have to get used to the fact that it's, oh, no, it's not it's, a pay per view. It's an it's yeah. an hour show, so they're going to have nowhere near the amount of time to do anything really spectacular. Mm. In I, I just thought it might it could have perhaps been a bit snappier at the start. I quite like the look of Dean Douglas's work when he came in. I thought that was quite proficient. Welcome back, everybody. Right, now the man has Razor gone up into the ring with those two losers. So we got three match. losers in the ring. A couple of weeks ago, took unbelievable sums out of you. The match with Davey Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, a moment ago. Dean Douglas, a thorn in your side. The man whom you will face at In Your House, and of course, Dean Douglas. No stranger to you either. One, two, three, kid, in the matchup recently. Last weekend on Superstars. Please don't compare Uh, the intellect of Dean Douglas to that of one, two, three, kid, whose IQ is the same as his shoe size. Making reference to the intellect. Of Dean Douglas. He's and brilliant. I, what about I don't know whether here tonight, whether or not he proved his intellect or not, but he came down he here, interfered in the matchup. Come on, you man. Came go down ahead and say it. you got to say the kid just caused Razor the match. Just as always watched your back. And from there, Dean Douglas leaves. You come off the top. Yeah, the referee gets up and sees you, and he disqualifies Razor. Razor loses the match. Right, because, because of the kid. Because of your interference. Good. Obviously, Dean Douglas unquestionably would feel at this moment he has a superior intellect. He is superior. Hold on a second, Vince. I cost him the match. Right. What about last week when he came down and cost me the match? Huh, Razor? What about that? Uh-oh, wait a minute. This is getting good. Yeah, I'm not saying this was intentional. I'm simply talking about the intellect of, of one Dean Douglas. 
the fact of the matter is, no, let's get back to the about Team Douglas. I didn't cost him the match, Vince. Razor, I didn't cost you the match. Last week, you cost me the match. You know something? You always treat me like a little kid, Razor. You know? You know, you're one of my best friends. We look like he's going to throw a temper like tantrum. A kid. You don't give me any respect. Nobody took me seriously when I beat you the first time. Hey, wait a minute. That's right. He did beat him. That's Do I right. got to beat you again? Yeah, go ahead, kid. Up, up. Next week, I'll beat you again, Razor. Yeah, what about that, Greaseball? What well, about it? Next week. <laughs> this is great. Now, wait a minute. No, he did. He Aren't, did, man. this is getting a little kid carried away here? I mean, all because perhaps of Dean Douglas. Are you challenging Razor Ramon to a match next week? He's watched your back. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right, Vince. Razor Ramon. He's afraid of you, kid. If it's going to take for me to beat you one more time. <laughs> For you to give me Look some respect and not treat me like a little kid anymore. The next week, Razor, as much as a good friend of you, as you are to me, I will beat you next week. Wow. Listen to this. What about it, Razor? Huh? You scared of the kid? I love it. Razor, how do you react to now this? You know, McMahon, anything can happen. Yeah, and you get beat by the kid again. I make history at SummerSlam with a ladder match that they will talk about forever. Yeah, and you prove tonight you'll never be the same. The British Bulldog out here making a lot of waves. Yeah, making you a loser. You Dean lost to him. Douglas, some bookworm, wants to take... The bad guy to school. That's right, because you need it. You're so stupid. And on top of all that, my little buddy, the one, two, three kid, who I made famous. Yeah, by a loss to him. <laughs> wants a piece of Razor Ramon one more time. I can't blame him. You're on the world well, biggest Chico, losing streak. If you want it, huh? if they want it, huh? Huh? Say it. Oh, if no. you want it, who cares what he wants? Then you got it. Oh, the bad guy, Razor oh, Ramon. Razor Ramon accepting the challenge of the kid. Well, back from break, and Vince is in the ring with Kid and Razor. Vince asks Razor about the ladder match taking a lot out of him and his recent troubles with Dean Douglas. Vince asks the pair if Dean Douglas has outsmarted them. Kid asks Razor about Razor costing him a match against Douglas on Superstars. He says he didn't cost Razor this match, and that Razor treats him like a kid and doesn't give him any respect. I suppose treating him like a kid, his name is The Kid. Mm. He wants a match next week on Raw against Razor, then leaves. Then Razor says, McMahon. McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> Razor recaps his troubles and says he made the kid famous. He accepts the match and the crowd is firmly behind Razor. So what do you think of this storyline for this pair? I quite like it. I, quite, I think it's a good time for it and I think it's about time that the kid has something juicy storyline-wise to get into. I'm quite looking forward to it. Well, I'm probably not going to watch that Raw, but I would look forward You'll to see, watching that. Yeah, on yeah. pay-per-view where yeah. it goes. It feels kind of timely, doesn't it? When we came into this, they were having the rivalry yeah, and then they became friends and we've had them as friends for the majority of what we've done and now yeah. it's kind of swinging back round again so it kind of it kind of feels right so if one of them's going to turn heel who would you pick 
I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind. The obvious choice would be to turn Razor, but I think it's interesting that it looks like they're going to run with the kid. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. I think Razor seems to have that kind of anti-hero type thing going on. He is yeah. the bad guy, yet he's face, so it would be easy to just tip him the other way. While as the kid's always been a firm face and fan favourite, so it'd be more interesting to to flip him. Mm. Uh, but I, I don't know how easy that would how that, that, would that, that would work. Well, we will see it play out across pay per view. So yeah. one thing I did notice about the the whole segment, you got Jerry Lawler uh, chipping in. Chiming all in. the time. It was actually quite difficult to hear what the interview was. And again, I've said about it before, but it's just mm. annoying. Our next match is the Smoking Guns versus Rad Radford and the Brooklyn Brawler. Who? So Radford appeared as a lumberjacker in your house too, but we didn't really discuss who he was. So we may as well do that here. Radford, real name Louis Spicoli, debuted in 1988, aged only 17, and early in his career featured as an enhancement talent in the WWF. He worked across a number of different promotions under various gimmicks throughout the early 1990s, including trips to Japan and Mexico, where he'd make his most notable appearance to date for the AAA organisation, competing out there when Worlds Collide pay-per-view in November 1994. Was this one where there was the Eddie Guerrero match with the guy that then died that night? Yeah. Yeah. Spicoli was in a six-man tag match under his Madonna's boyfriend gimmick. Signing for the WWF in early 1995, he made his debut under the Rad Radford persona on the 7th of May Action Zone in a squash match. His gimmick, if you didn't guess, is simply grunge. Oh, and he's supposedly Courtney Love's boyfriend. Okay. Slightly out of date considering Cobain's died like a year yeah. prior to the debut of the gimmick. Grunge is kind, kind of, of over, isn't out. it? Yeah. You know? yeah, the bands that were kind of left, obviously Alice in Chains would be in hiatus. Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins were kind of moving on to other things. Firmly entrenched as rock bands, I would say, rather than yeah, Pearl grunge Jam's bands. definitely manoeuvred its sound by this point into something yeah. that's different, hasn't it? Yeah, so Vince... Tad late on grunge. It's the same with the haircuts, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think this, this is more in keeping with the music than the haircuts has been. Yeah. We'll see Spicoli on a single pay-per-view, so we'll discuss him and his exit from the company more there. Quite an auspicious start, really, in the WWF, isn't it, for Radford? This is the first time you've seen him, and he's tagging with the Brooklyn Brawler. Yeah. That, I've that never doesn't... seen the Brooklyn Brawler before. Although, was he a knight? No, he wasn't. Oh, he wasn't a knight. He should have been a knight. He was you... that Abe Knuckleball He was Schwartz. Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. Oh, that's it. I knew, I knew he'd yeah. cropped up. And he's been in like every dark match on every pay-per-view yeah. ever. <laughs> the smoking guns are out and they shoot fake guns with their fingers. And they shoot excellent mullets from their heads. <laughs> I thought his moustache was quite ferocious this time. His moustache was well. good. There's something phenomenal going on with Billy's hair here as well. I know he's won mullet the night before, but this really is... Is it in the running? It's like steroided up a little bit. It's really good. Can you give steroids to your hair? Is there like a conditioner that would... Yeah, like... I guess that's what you use, extra treatments. Yeah. Their opponents are already in the ring, so well done, Radford. Not yeah. only are you tagging with the Brooklyn Brawler, you don't even get an entrance. Radford and Brawler attack the guns from behind and throw Billy out of the ring. Bart stops at the ropes and Billy hits a double flying clothesline over the top rope. I thought that was probably the most athletic thing I've seen Billy Gunn do. Yeah, yeah. It, it was quite innovative as well, how it was... Bart gets whipped into the ropes, stops, and then Billy just sort of flies over the ropes. Because he looks like he comes out of nowhere from the camera angle as well. I thought thought that was quite interesting. We get double drop kicks by the guns and we settle down with Bart and the brawler. Radford tags in and he knees Bart from behind on the rope and brawler kicks Bart in the groin before making the tag to grungy Radford. He hits an elbow drop and tags back to the brawler where they hit a double elbow. Interesting to see this team get a bit of a heat segment considering I can't see them go anywhere. Some point around here as well where Vince takes a pop at Jerry Lawler on commentary and Jerry says that he's the second worst dressed person in America. Yeah, 
and was the it? first one is Demi Moore. They, 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 <laughs> okay. they keep talking about these polls, don't they, in magazines? Vince and Lawler on these 94, 95 Raws are just constantly referencing other things. If yeah. you watch them consistently, you'll notice Vince has a real problem with Roseanne Barr. <laughs> and I'm not really sure why. But it, it just left me thinking about what has Demi Moore been in? To... Striptease? Would that be around then? She was the best dressed person in striptease. <laughs> Fair well, was she, was she, I'm not saying it, but was she dressed? At points. At points, yeah. She was undressed at others. Is that why you're saying she was the best dressed? Is that what you're getting at? That is what I'm getting at, yeah. Okay. Demi Moore looked good in that film. Anyway. But, yeah, sorry. I digress. Brawler and Radford hit a double elbow. We get a slam by the brawler and he goes to the top, but Bart gets up and slams him off, making the semi-hot tag to Billy. Billy gets <laughs> ten punches in the corner before turning around and diving on Rad. Billy whips Rad into Bart and the guns hit the sidewinder for the three. Quick. It, again, it's kind of similar to what the match at SummerSlam did for the guns. I get the feeling they're being re-established as a tag team. Yeah, not a bad match. In, no. In any way, it was just it was just really, really quick. Does this give you an inkling as to what the matches on Raw are like at the time, Paul? Yeah, I wasn't bowled over by it. It's, it's not my thing. It's not my sort of thing to watch at that kind of match. No. For me, it didn't do a lot for them. Just because... They're beating the pe- nobody. The, yeah, they're beating nobody. For, for me, it's, it's just taking up time. The, you know, there was that spot with the double clothesline like that. Prom- it was a promising start to the match, but then it just fizzled out for me. I mean, this is something you will have never really known, isn't it? Squash matches. No, I've not really seen Adam, them. you'd more than likely remember them yeah. from sort of the late 80s, where yeah. 90% of WWF television was squash matches. Oh, God, and you, you knew that if there's a match and you don't know who one of the people is, then he's just going to get squashed by the person that you do know. Or if they're already in the ring and their feet get set on fire, you know they're (laughs) going to lose. Kill the brain and you kill the ghoul. Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Outside of my magical, mystical land, there are evil, dark ghouls that walk astray in the darkness. They call themselves the creatures of the nights, blanketed in purple and black. Their spirits hypnotically walk the earth. They follow the footsteps of their leader, the one grim reaper, the undertaker. You see, gold sheds no darkness. Look at it. Gold only sheds light. The black evil cloud that now hovers over the World Wrestling Federation will soon be sent to the heavens, never to be heard from again. Courtesy. Next up, we get a Goldust promo. I like this. He quotes Night of the Living Dead, and he's wearing a sort of gold suit and a top hat. Gold top hat is brilliant. Yeah, Although I, I kind of quite like... He's obviously gone to the effort of, of, you know, golding up his face. Yeah. But then there was like a little... I don't know if you noticed, there was like a little line between that and his shirt. Presumably he just that's, sweated that off yeah, or something. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of just, just nice that, you know, I'm not saying that I want to see Goldust naked, but imagine when <laughs> he got undressed to shower, it would be ridiculous. He's all like, I've face. <laughs> I just think that'd be amusing. Here, he appears to be targeting The Undertaker. Yeah, mm, interesting. interesting. Goldust vignettes have been airing since July, but we'll look at how he ended up here and we'll see his debut at In Your House 4. Interested in seeing the character? 
I really like the look of it. Thinking back, like if you're around in 95 and you're seeing this, if we're talking about this is an era where WWF are coming up with comic book characters, this is a darker, more sinister comic book character yeah. than what we've seen. It's a comic book villain. Exactly. I, I, I kind of like that. There's more intrigue in mm. there. Oh, it's, it's definitely something that you're thinking, where is this going? And he's, he's good on the mic, isn't he? You know. Very accomplished. Vince says, Two Wong Fu eat your heart out when they come back from the Goldust promo. <laughs> our next match is another squash match. It's our pal Isaac Yankum DDS against a jobber by the name of Scott Taylor. Scott Taylor? I recognise that name. That would be the future Scotty Too Hotty. Oh, excellent. Did, did you recognise him with his haircut? I don't think we ever see his face in this. <laughs> no, no, you, you but, don't. But we do see he's, he's got a great mullet, but it's really hard for me to really picture Scotty Too Hotty without yeah. that silly sort of like peroxide sticking up hair. Yeah. I wouldn't have known if, 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 if I didn't recognise the, the name. Yeah, We open anyway with clubs in the corner by Yankum and a clothesline. He then hits a choke slam, but it Mm-mm. doesn't seem to be like even a signature or a finisher. It's just a nothing move. He just yeah. does it and carries on. Yeah. It doesn't go for a pin or anything. No. Yankum chokes Taylor on the ropes. There's a scoop slam, a couple of elbow drops. Chokes Scott over his back by his neck, the thing he did to Bret Hart at SummerSlam. Gorilla press slam, dropping Scott over the ropes. DDT, or as Vince calls it on commentary, DDS. Three count, Yankum gave Scotty nothing. Yeah, literally. It is weird seeing Kane doing a choke slam and it just being... Nothing. Just a regular move. It's like a scoop slam. And I didn't really like the DDT. No, no, it wasn't wasn't a great one. It's almost like he's too big to be doing the DDT on someone that small. Yeah, it looked weird. It didn't look right. He should be doing a more impressive move. Yeah, he needs... A choke slam. He needs a big power move. This, I must say, this is much more what I imagined the sort of squash matches to be like that you'd kind of described to me before. Yeah. In terms of at least it gets a bit of Isaac Yankum in terms of his offence, his moves over and familiar with the crowd. Yeah. I kind of see the point in that. But there's different types of squash matches and kind of these two back-to-back highlight that some people will give the jobber opponents something in the match yeah and then other people just won't now it may have been that you know scotty was told you're not getting anything in match because we want to get yankum over but it's interesting uh, from from reading and seeing matches of the time razor ramon for example would always give them a little bit of something and Shawn michaels would always give them a little bit of something but you've got other people that just won't and we'll just steamroll yeah. over them and that'll be it i'm talking one or two spots they would yeah, give yeah. them but yeah, some people will just give them literally nothing, steamroller over them, and, and that's the end of the match in a minute yeah. and a half often. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't saying that I preferred this match, but I kind of seen, I see the logic of the booking of the match yeah. in, in that way. But also, the, there is the flip side, whereas, you know, when they've got nothing, who are they beating? Yeah. And it's, it, there's still that problem. Todd gives us an in-your-house update next, and he calls us dudes and dudettes. This gets more time than most of the matches, I swear. Yeah. He slags off Mad About You for some reason. I've never really seen Mad no, About I haven't got a clue what he's talking about. So you sitcom about a couple i think yeah, right. he runs down the triple header match diesel and sean against owen and yokozuna all the titles are on the line dqs and countouts can still change the titles as per gorilla monsoon razor ramon versus dean douglas is also on the in your house card as is bret hart versus jean-pierre lafitte and bam bam bigelow versus the bulldog and we'll see all those matches in your house three sound Good. like an interesting card not bad, actually. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind the sound of it, although I was a bit depressed by how long and how patronising it was explaining the rules to the triple header. And just like that, we're on to our main event of the evening. It's Shawn Michaels versus Sid in an intercontinental title match. As a quick side note, the top match for the show that was going to be opposing Nitro for the first time was purported to be Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. But allegedly, Ooh. these two are already being kept apart due to not really getting along. Okay. Already? Hmm. I, wonder, I wonder if that will play 
play out down the line. Back to the ring, and Sid is on his way to the ring. But then we cut back to Todd again, who tells us we'll see Savio Vega versus Waylon Mercy in your house as well. I'm less looking forward to that. Sid blinks a lot on his way to the ring. That's his sort of tick for being a psychopath. I, I don't mind that. I, I, I kind of quite like his entrance, and, and I love his music. I, I, everything that Sid does up until the point he starts wrestling, I think is really good. Hello, boys and girls, cats and kittens. Tonight is the night that the heartbreak kid closes the final chapter on his past. Big Sid, it starts and ends with you. <laughs> Sean walks backstage and cuts a bit of a promo. He walks past a ladder and gets a bit scared. Back from break and Sean enters to the biggest pop of the show. He wiggles his bum on the way to the ring and poses. There is something very stripper-like. There's lots of gyrating, jiggling, you know, sexy taking off of clothes all the time. It's is that where he's going now? Yeah, Sean's babyface turn seems to have turned his character into a male stripper. Fair enough. They lock up to start and Sid backs Sean into a corner before missing a fist. Sean hits a sunset flip off the second rope but can't get Sid down and Sid misses a fist. Sean with a drop kick and he punches Sid to the outside. Get a pretty hot open and it was entirely conducted by Sean moving around Sid, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's Sean playing the roadrunner again, isn't it, around the coyote? Yeah, and it does work very well. Sid comes back in and we get another lockup. A side headlock by Sean who can't take Sid down with a shoulder block. Stands to reason, really. Yeah, yeah. Sid tries to shove Sean to the outside, but he skins the cat and drop kicks Sid to the outside. Another lockup and Sid gets a headlock. Sean pushes Sid to the ropes and tries to presumably thez press him, but Sid catches him and throws him to the canvas. Sid backs Michaels into the corner and chokes him and hits fists to Sean's stomach. There's a distinct change in pace, isn't there, when, when Sid is controlling things. Starts off quick with Sean, slows down considerably when Sid gets in control. Sean does his laying over the corner bump and launches himself onto the apron from a boot for Sid to clothesline him to the arena floor. That was, that was entertaining, I thought. I, I do like the over theatrics of that one Sid follows and drops Michaels over the apron DiBiase gets some kicks in behind the official's back and, and there was a sign that we saw at this stage that Sid aka the chicken that's all it said that's a good gimmick you want for your big seven foot monster isn't it portray yeah. them as a chicken <laughs> Sean makes it back in at nine as we go to break coming back and Sean is gyrating in Sid's bear hug yeah, yeah. It, was, it was an odd little jig he's kind of twerking yeah you kind of missed it and it was creeping me out so I had to rewind it to show you both yeah. <laughs> did, did, did you think it, it, that's where Miley Cyrus got her I imagine she was watching Raws yeah. in 95 aged about two undoubtedly mate Sean punches out of the bear hug and walks into a Sid boot. Sid gets a side takedown, Michaels gets a head scissors, and fucking Sid does a kip-up. Not just a kip-up, a very smooth, very good kip-up. What the hell? It, it kind of, like, took us all by surprise. Made me think that maybe it's all been a ruse, <laughs> and actually Sid can wrestle really well, he's really athletic. But he's just tricked you into thinking he's rubbish. Yeah. That was not what I expected to it was, see. It was literally, it, was, it, it literally stunned us all. If someone just told you that he did that, you, I wouldn't, wouldn't, believe you wouldn't believe it. I mean, I've seen the big show do one, so I'm aware sort of giant people can do it. But I'm surprised when Sid can tie his shoelaces. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, fact, we've never actually seen that, have we? Maybe, maybe he gets somebody else. <laughs> maybe he gets Ted DiBiase. Maybe yeah. he's got Velcro. <laughs> he has got half the brain that you do. So. Yeah. Sean turns around and walks into a choke slam. He dies off that bump. Mm. Yeah, it's a good one. Sid gets heat, poses, and asks for the belt without pinning Sean. Yeah. Uh, there's good old <laughs> stupid Sid. <laughs> Sid sets up for the power bomb, but Sean gets a big back body drop. Sean fights back with fists and hits a flying one. Well, but hang on, the, the, the he goes for the axe handles, doesn't he? And then, I mean, the axe handles are just ridiculous, so obvious that, that, that I hate those sorts of moves. It's very William Shatner. 
when he's facing a large alien. The, the raised <laughs> axe handle went, there's, there's no way you're going to hit him like that. Yeah. Not a chance. Why are you doing it? And, and then, he just comes back for another one. And then when he aims his punches, they're literally, if he connects or if he's trying to connect, he's literally aiming two feet above HBK's head. I'd love to see Sid as a Gorn. I'd love to see Sid versus the Gorn. <laughs> Sean with frenzied fists to Sid and he heads to the top rope where he hits a crossbody for a two. Sid boots Sean in the gut, but Sean avoids a Sid clothesline. Sid turns around into a gut kick, bending over slightly, and Sean kicks Sid in the face, bouncing him off the ropes, and Sid bounces back into another for the three count. Sean kips up after the match, he teases getting naked, and shows his bum. The lights come up, and Sean decides his little strip show is over. It was a surreal ending. Did someone say, mate, this is a kid's show, put your arse away. Well, well, the lights come up, and then he just stops undressing. That's the rules of a strip club, I presume, when it's over. Yeah, the lights are on, put your clothes back on. I thought the finish was quite good, with, theoretically, he should not be able to kick Sid that high so he does the one to the gut to get him to double down yeah. almost and yeah. then he kicks him super cool. kick but a way way better match than I expected yes yeah. I mean the, 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 this is leagues above any of the previous Sid matches that we've seen and it shows you kind of actually he can work he, he, he does some decent stuff it's not purely Shawn Michaels dragging a good match out of him I, I, I didn't get that feel yeah. I felt that although Shawn Michaels was a better performer Sid held his end up. It's, it's a long-running thing, isn't it? The monster versus monster is never really a great match. No. Has there been any of those that have been really good? Oh, Some the of first, them are good the, the first Undertaker Kane. Yeah, no, yeah I, sp- I suppose those, but... You know, the, the Diesel-Sid matches are lumbering, but Diesel-Sean very good and Sean-Sid very good. I'm not saying that I don't want to see that ladder match at SummerSlam, but it almost makes me wish we had seen a sort of 20-minute Shawn Michaels-Sid match because I'm yeah. pretty sure Sean could have worked around and sort of made that long form. I mean, I'd guess that match went about 10 minutes or so. Yeah, I'd say it was in that ballpark. I, I figure Sean could probably drag him to something decent with a bit more time. I reckon so, yeah. And I, I... actually make him look pretty good. Like I say, he died off that choke slam bump. I thought actually both of the guys looked pretty good here. A promo shows us the smoking guns and the bushwhackers coming over to someone's house to watch In Your House. That would be the most upsetting thing to happen. Hang on, hang on, Bob Backlund's there. <laughs> but then he gets redeemed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little promo for the show, basically. Yes! What a great victory, Sean. That little cheesy Great title defense, but in 13 days, the first ever triple header. You guys face Yokozuna and Owen Hart, and in your house, the deal is, if you defeat them, you garner the tag team titles. God forbid, if one of them was to defeat one of you, say if Owen defeated you, Sean, that he would get the Intercontinental title. Hypothetical situation here. If Owen Hart or Yokozuna was to defeat you, Big Daddy Cool, then they would get the title. Oh, very hypothetical. What are you feeling? In case you haven't noticed, Doc, the Heartbreak Kid is in the process of righting all the wrongs in his life. First, starting with my reuniting with my big buddy, Big Daddy Cool Diesel, putting the IC strap back around my waist. And of course, with SummerSlam, avenging the most horrific loss of my career at WrestleMania 10. And now, finally, Putting down Psycho Sid with a little chin music. It is all over with. And it is time for Big Daddy Cool and the Heartbreak Kid to move on to bigger and better things. And the triple header and in your house is where we're going to start. You know, we're so used to making history. I can't help it. I think we got to do it again. You know, we're not only two dudes with attitudes, but we're two chaps with all the strengths. To finish the show, Doc is with Diesel and Sean, and they celebrate Sean's victory. They hypothesize over the triple header match, and Diesel christens them two dudes with attitudes, or two chaps with all the straps. That was quite good. Quite good rhyming. 
And yes, a short promo previews next week's show with Razor versus the Kid. Because it's taped, we see some of the match. Well, I didn't really like. Yeah, including the kid's crying face. Yeah, so I we guess he presumably loses. loses. Yeah. 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 What did you make to the show overall? It was, I guess for me, the word is respectable. It wasn't a bad show, and certainly I thought the main event was, was pretty decent, actually. Probably actually better than any of the main events I've seen on any of the pay-per-views so far this year. But other than that and the first match... The gold dust segment I found quite interesting. The rest was not great. I quite liked it. There are far worse ones out there. Yeah, as far as 95 Raws go, this is probably one of the better ones. There is ones that are far less quality in terms of you get a match between two stars and they don't click, whereas, yes, Sean was able to do something good with Sid. So as far as Raws go, this was, yeah, yeah. like you say, pretty respectable. Not bad. It does leave me with a question. Are the Bushwhackers still working for them? Yes. When was the last time that anyone saw them? They're in the Rumble, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. God. They will be turning up on pay-per-views into 1996. I'm just warning you. Bloody hell. So let's change the channel now to WCW Nitro. This is live at the Knight Center in Miami, Florida. I couldn't find an attendance figure, so I'm going to go with fucking loads more than Raw. <laughs> yes, yeah. Nitro has a ridiculously fireworked opening. Fuck Raw. This is how you do an opening. Everything explodes. Uh, I must say, I've, you guys have seen, obviously, some of the Raws and Nitros, and I've yeah. not seen any of them. And when you've been talking about it before, you've been describing it to me, you said, like, even the refs get pyros, which is obviously an exaggeration. <laughs> but from the start of this, I thought, actually, do the refs get pyro? <laughs> Just everything blows up. It's, yeah. it's great. Really good. Quite short, quite snappy, loads of fire. Yeah. What, what would you guess would be their pyro budget per show? Shit ton. Just... <laughs> That, that well-known unit of money. Just loads. I mean, fireworks are expensive, and they've got all of the fireworks. <laughs> Maybe that's why Vince has got none. Yeah. He's been trying to buy them down all the shops, but they're like, no. Some Eric, guy, Eric. Eric. Eric Bischoff came in and bought all of them. We see shots of downtown Miami to open, and our hosts are Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, and Steve Mongo McMichael. Do you recognise him, Paul? I do, from WrestleMania. Yeah, he made the defection to WCW. My description of the opening pyro, yes, is ridiculous. And we're going to see the match of the century tonight, boys. It's Hulk Hogan versus Lex Luger. I think I've heard that term, match of the century, before. Yeah, that was the yeah. It was Hogan and Ric Flair, wasn't it? So I've seen like two WCW things, both of them involving the match of the century. Well, if we ever watch any Tony Schiavone commentary, you'll get used to every night being the greatest night in the history of our sport. But it's definitely the match that I've been looking forward to. Two great workers, Hogan and Luger. Bischoff runs down Luger, stunning the world and returning to WCW. And we see in full Luger's challenge to the Hulkster on the previous week's show. Hogan, you'll back me up on this, Adam, is always talking about people's stinky hands. Yeah, from what I've seen, he's, he constantly calls the giant stinky. But in particular reference to his hand. Yeah, I, I don't know what that's all about. Bischoff tells us that Vader is AWOL and won't be part of Fall Brawl. I like Vader. So, Vader's been a little bit of a naughty boy. Oh dear. What's he been doing? At a set of television tapings on August the 30th in Atlanta, Vader apparently showed up late. When it came time for him to record an interview, he was allegedly busy doing something else. Agent Paul Orndorff was reported to have shouted, Hey, fat ass, get your gear on and get out there for your interview vader responded by punching orndorff and knocking him to the ground orndorff fought back and got the upper hand kicking vader on the floor five minutes later vader recovered and decided to have another go 
again, Orndorff kicked his ass. And apparently, Orndorff came out of the whole thing relatively unscathed while Vader was bloodied and bruised. Seemingly, locker room-wise, Mr. Wonderful gained a whole new level of respect and wasn't punished, while Vader was suspended and would be released from WCW a few weeks later. I'm quite amazed, because although Paul Orndorff was super stacked with muscle in the 1980s, by this point he's quite old and he's not actually a massive framed guy, is he? He's, he's still huge. big, but he's, he's not. Big, but, but he's yeah. not huge. And Vader's a fucking tank. Yeah, Orndorff just kicks his ass. Yep. That is quite surprising to me, because I was always led to believe that Vader was an hard man. Our first match is Sabu versus Alex Wright. Yeah, didn't see this one coming. Yeah, no, I didn't know Sabu worked for WCW. Well, yeah, he's had a bit of a falling out with Heyman. They conflicted on dates, and Sabu chose to perform at a show in Japan, and he's come back to the States, and Bischoff's made him an offer, so he's here. And he comes out to, well, not his ECW theme. No. Which is awesome. You're a big fan of that, aren't you, man? Mm, yes. He runs to the ring and stalks around like a crazy man. Out next is Das Wunderkind, Alex Wright. Never heard of, like the name. Yeah. He has a hip leather jacket and some German techno music for his entrance. It does look like he's come out of the 80s. They lock up and Wright hits arm drags. Sabu with a choke and boots and a springboard kick to the face. He, he then, he does seem to hurt his back early on. He, he, he walks around holding it for a little bit. Sabu, Hurricane Rana's right and himself over the top to the outside. Sabu with a baseball slide keeps right on the outside and hits a cannonball. Nice. It, it, it means a very quick, snappy opening. Yeah. It, it's pretty slick. Bischoff calls it a moonsault, but it isn't. Sabu goes for a chair and sets right up on the ringside barricade, runs towards the chair, jumps off it, but right moves, and Sabu completely totals himself on the barrier. Yeah, yeah that looked nasty. <laughs> it did look horrible. But it, it's, with all these moves, uh, you do wonder about the sense of doing them. I mean, I mean, the, the stuff that just looks like you're going to do yourself some, some potentially really bad, long-lasting damage, and that's the sort of stuff that I wouldn't want to do. If Bischoff's got the idea that he wants to do something different, yeah, so to Raw, this is different. It, I'll tell, tell you, it got my attention. We get a drop kick on the outside by Alex Wright, followed by a slam. Wright rolls Sabu back in and goes to the top, hitting an impressive drop kick, sending really? Sabu back outside. Really nice, really yeah. nice. Good height. I think he's quite he's quite thin framed, right? Isn't he? But yeah. he's quite yeah. tall as he, well. He, he's got. So, I think he's got quite a good look for a kind of cocky young wrestler. We get a baseball slide by Wright and a big splash diving over the top rope. Very nice again. It's all good early on. Sabu clubs Wright getting back into the ring and goes to the top, but Wright is back up and hits a superplex for a big pop from the crowd. Yeah, it's really good. Sabu whips Wright into the corner and with him bouncing back out, hits a springboard leg across the net. I don't think I'd seen many moves like that before, but that, that kind of it looked very smooth, very accomplished. Yeah, that's the thing with Sabu. He hits about 50% of what he goes for, but when he does, it does look good. Yeah. yeah. Wright with a big leap to the top and a flip out of the corner, hitting a nice German suplex on Sabu. I thought it was appropriate him doing a German suplex. Being German. Yeah, it made sense. It's not one of those times where I don't know who this guy is, but already I'm thinking, this guy's pretty good. Yeah. You know, is this he... a Jimmy Del Rey moment for you? I, I guess it's it not, is. He's not got the hair. D- das Wunderkind, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nine. Alex goes back to the top, but Sabu catches up with him and hits a sort of backwards Hurricane Rana victory roll type thing off the top for the three. Yeah. Though Wright gets his shoulder up sort of immediately after the count. Yeah. Sabu attacks afterwards and goes for a table. He sets Wright up on it and goes to the top rope, diving what I've got as face first yeah through Alex Wright and the table. Wright's not even really on the table. No. Sabu just like <laughs> head first It was almost through. like he was standing up in front of the end of the table but leaning backwards 
backwards. Yeah. So it looked like it was more on the table. It was a bit of a messy Different tables table break. to what we're used to from Attitude as well. This yeah. looked like it'd been made by Handy Andy from Changing Rooms. <laughs> slightly more robust. Just slightly odd. It, it, didn't look, it didn't look like a proper table. Anyway, the referee has reversed his decision and DQ'd Sabu, giving Alex Wright the victory. Thoughts on this match? Really good. I really enjoyed it. Perfect opener, I thought. Important to note at this point, maybe, that this show looks better it does. than Raw. Yeah. We, it, they've got a high budget. They've got swooping crane shots into things. The, the lighting around the audience is much better. They've got Perspex fucking windows under, under the, the ring. ring with light shining out and like the Nitro logo on. A lot more cash has been spent on this, and consequently, it looks a lot better. I thought this match was a lot more competitive than the stuff you generally see on Raw at the time. I mean, Razor and Bulldog was fairly competitive and Sean and Sid was fairly competitive. But Sabu, they're just establishing, this is his Nitro debut. He got to do a lot of cool stuff, but right at the same time, yeah. got yeah. to do some spots that made him look really good as yeah. well. No, no, so it's the thing that I'd say for this match. Both the guys come out of it looking looking better. Yeah, it does something for both of them, doesn't it? Nature Boy, i got to tell you something. Last night I was over in South Beach. You were styling profiling, moving and grooving, the paparazzi, the beautiful women, and now at Fall Brawl, Arn Anderson. You know me, Gene? The only thing missing at South Beach last night was the fact that Double A, my running mate, my main man, and my best friend was not at my side. Conspicuous by his absence, I'm told today that Double A was back in his hotel room calling his wife and little boy. Instead of running wild with an ancient ball, we used to be like Joe Montana, the pretty boy. He was Lawrence Taylor, the killer. We ruled the world. There was no path in life that Arn Anderson couldn't walk because he was at my side. This was the symbol. This wasn't the four horsemen. This was the symbol of excellence. This was the show. And Sunday, oh. Wait a minute, gentlemen. Hold on. Lex Luger. Total package in town. And you know what? One thing Double A always said was, Nate, Hulk Hogan's driven you crazy. Well, Hogan, look what you've done now. Look who's here. The total package. 6'5". Let's look. 275. 22-inch arms. 60-inch chest. The total package. Hogan, tonight, the package takes control. Right, package. You know, Rick, some things never change, do they? You are too much. Oh, and I'm gonna stay too much. And tonight, Hulk Hogan, you go down to Lex Luger. Thank you very much, Rick Flair. Still to come, Hogan and Luger collide here on Monday Nitro. Back from break, and Gene Oakland is in the ring to interview the nature boy, Ric Flair. Flair hypes his match with Arn Anderson at Fall Brawl, and then Luger appears to booze. Wanders into the ring, Flair hypes Luger, saying how good he is and how he's going to beat Hulk Hogan, pretty much doing his talking for him, and then Luger just walks off. Yeah. He says, you're too much, and then he just ch- like, chuckles a bit and then just walks out. What the fuck? Nice work, Lex. At this point, I noticed in the background of this, I thought there was an ECW sign. 
Yeah. But what had happened is there was a guy at the front with what I thought was the E. He then swapped it around so it was a W. So it then said WCW. But then he took his sweatshirt off and he had a T-shirt that said ECW underneath. He's made a multifunctional sign. That was very clever. I think if you're trying to get into a WCW event with a massive ECW sign, they're going to say, no chance, pal. But if you turn the W, it looks like an E. It's like that's what was the sign last year that someone snuck in and it said Smarten Up DX, but they'd actually taken a pen with them and when they got in, they changed it to Smarten Up Dixie. <laughs> <laughs> and it was quite prominent through an entire either episode of Raw or a pay per view. That's quite clever. Our next match on Nitro is Sting versus VK Wall Street. VK Wall Street, I recognise this guy from somewhere. He's out first and he appears to have changed his name from the debut episode of Nitro where his name was Michael and his name is now VK. Wonder what that's an allusion to. Ooh. But who is he, Paul? He's the IRS. Excellent. Sting is out next to a big pop and during Sting's entrance, Bischoff tells us not to watch Raw. It's three weeks old and Sean beats Sid with a super kick he wouldn't get a green belt for at the local YMCA. (laughs) What's your thoughts on this? What does mentioning the competition like that say about your own product? I think it, it smacks of insecurity. It, it's, it's a big thing. I, I, I never really get the idea. It, it, there's always that saying, you know, any publicity is good publicity, which I'm not really sure is always strictly speaking true. Yeah. But by mentioning their name, that you know, I could be quite happily sitting there watching Nitro thinking, oh, I'm liking Nitro. And then I say... Oh, Raw. Oh, I remember. Raw's on. I'll, I'll watch that. Well, ultimately, it would obviously come to backfire on them. They do this quite frequently for the next three years. And then, obviously, there's the well-known moment where Shivani says, oh, yeah. Mick Foley's winning the world title. Oh, that'll put butts in seats. And everyone changes the channel. In this case, is it slightly slanderous? A little bit by saying the other show's not very good. And he doesn't say it overtly, but he's, he's hinting at... Oh, I think he says it overtly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wall Street has a singlet with a dollar sign on it so he appears to have morphed into some sort of million dollar man irs hybrid here i don't like it it's got no tie which which we've talked about yeah yeah i can't work out whether i don't like his outfit or whether i'm just so used to seeing him in like belts and braces and a tie that it just feels that it just feels wrong we open with a fireman's carry by wall street a lockup and sting gets punches and a side headlock followed by hip toss and some nice drop kicks one thing i'll say at this point i did notice the ref looked like jimmy white the snooker player (laughs) he did yes that was my big early observation in this match wall street begs off and sting whips him hard into the corner wall street falls down and goes to the outside back inside another lockup and a side headlock by sting wall street catches sting bouncing off the ropes and throws him to the outside he bangs sting's head against the apron and heads back inside clubbing sting over the ropes sting hits a slingshot shoulder block over the ropes to come back in wall street with a side elbow and an elbow drop and sting gets a sunset flip for a two struggling over wall street and bashes wall street's head into the corner 10 times clothesline by sting and a knee to the back before a stinger splash sting heads to the top and hits a cross body for the three i thought this was a competent match but not especially entertaining my note here was hmm no chin locks yeah mine is better from irs i think he was slightly better in this than what we'd seen in the wwf i'd, I'd go along with that have you ever seen much surfer sting stuff paul no the, the only sting that i've seen is the sort of tna version T- tna in that one match from the steiner episode he was good i like quite a lot of sting stuff actually yeah I've vague memories of him um, as the blonde-haired, spiky, glitter-gun sting. Pretty good performance. Pretty good, actually, yeah. It was it was all kind of very smoothly done, I thought. There was nothing bad in the match, but I wasn't kind of blown away by it. Coming back from break, we're straight into another match. It's the macho man Randy Savage versus Scott Norton. Norton, you know him? I'll no, sum no. him up in a couple of sentences. Former arm wrestler, bodyguard for Prince, 
wrestled in New Japan, tagged with Ludwig Borger, signed for WCW in 1993, didn't really take initially, reappeared on the debut of Nitro. Fair enough. Powerful looking dude. Yeah. yeah. Just he doesn't looks... look fat, but he just looks big, doesn't yeah. he? Kind of barrel torso, doesn't Yeah, that would probably be the appropriate him. phrase, wouldn't it? Bischoff runs down WCW Saturday night's matches before Scott Norton enters. Randy Savage is out next to a big pop, and he gets a mass of fireworks too. Mm. Norton attacks to open and takes Macho down as the ref disposes of Savage's gear. Savage goes for a sunset flip, but Norton gets him up for a lifting chokehold. Heenan says that, that Norton can bench 500 pounds, and then Bischoff says, so can Mongo. And then Heenan says, yeah, but that's 100 pounds five times. At WrestleMaths. <laughs> <laughs> just, just sort of sweep in there. Heenan or Mongo or Bischoff didn't say WrestleMaths, by the way. That was yeah. the holes added that on the end. If only. Norton misses a clothesline and Savage clotheslines him to the outside before hitting an axe handle off the top rope. Back inside, Norton attempts the Rikishi bump off a clothesline but doesn't really pull it off. No. Sort of gets half of it and falls down. Macho from the top tries something, but Norton catches him in a bear hug, tossing him to the mat. There, there were a few good comments here. One of them was, that's going to pop his heart or he's popped his heart, which I quite <laughs> liked, and broke his spleen. Broke his spleen. <laughs> I quite like the bear hug, though. Yeah. Because... The bear hug wasn't that annoying, long cuddle. Yeah. Cuddle. It was, he picks him up and Rag really dolls him around. shakes him around yeah. and chucks him. I like that. It's good. Clubs to the back by Norton and Savage sells like a boss. Yes. Mm. I always think Macho Man's actually really giving as a main event performer, way more than Hogan or even an Austin or someone like that. When Savage sells for you, he sells like yeah. a motherfucker. He really but, makes you look good. But it's not like Shawn Michaels mega over-the-top selling, is it? No. It's just like you genuinely believe he's hurt. I've got written down here. I'm not quite sure why. He was gassy. <laughs> I can't... Did he belch or something? No, it's, it's, it's with the bear hook. I think they said, I thought I heard a pop, but oh, yeah, yeah. maybe it was just oh, Heenan no. being gassed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Norton hits a nice power bomb. Yeah, really nice. Followed by two backbreakers and a slam, and a power slam by Norton for a two. A shoulder block by Norton and Savage goes to the outside, and my commentary note here is that Heenan keeps calling Mongo McNugget rather than McMichael. <laughs> <laughs> Norton chokes Savage and hits Randy Orton's draping DDT off the top rope. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, just a quick side note, Barry chuckles the ref in this match. <laughs> what? <laughs> so Jimmy White was refing the last one and Barry chuckles the referee in this one. Uh, and, and the main event, Barry chuckles. Okay. Norton goes to the top rope and Savage avoids his attack. A knee to the back by Savage and some furious fists when Shark and Kamala appear and Savage sends Norton into them. Shark falls onto Norton's feet and Savage <laughs> hits an elbow drop off the top for the win. Because <laughs> he can't get up because... Sharks on his feet, or Avalanche, or whoever it is. They sort of get the name wrong, don't they? It's Avalanche, but then he's quite clearly dressed as a shark. I'm guessing his gimmick had just changed. Mm. After the match, Zodiac, Meng, and Sullivan appear, and Savage basically legs it. Norton has a bit of a to-do with the dungeon, and they just leave. I thought it was actually quite a clever finish. It was good, but yeah. what, what, the referee just gets down for the count, despite the fact there's a really fat guy lying <laughs> at this guy's legs. Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I'll just count. It's yeah, fine. I, I, I really liked it, and... Uh, I did also like the fact that as soon as three count, Avalanche didn't sell after that. He just got straight up. <laughs> it, it, was, it was clever. I've never seen something like that before. Yeah. And I've got to say, I really like Norton. Yeah. He just looked like a beast in this. I, like, I, really devastating. I thought this this was a really good little match. And for me, this is where the two shows are starting to become more separated because you can see the logic of the booking for the for the Raw. Start off with a high-profile match, get your squash match in, have your main event, and, and just fill it in between. This was... a proper good match i thought with angle at the end to develop storyline and also you know this has the dungeon of doom 
yeah. which is really sensible booking. Which is the greatest thing. Ever. I, I don't yeah. know anything about Dungeon of Doom, but I, I feel like I should say Sullivan, my son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that's, that's the phrase right. you need to know. That's, these two keep banging on about it. You need to shout it a bit more. Yeah. Sullivan, my son! Yeah, that, that's a bit yeah, better. No, not bad, not bad. Savage's elbow drop, amazing. Yes. Always, always mm. looks amazing. Uh, particularly when there's a fat guy in the first <laughs> <laughs> Really good. I swear there's an episode a couple of shows down the line where a couple of them end up laying on top of each other and he just elbows them in a little like, pancake stuff. <laughs> <laughs> looks pretty good. Quickly, we go on to our main event of the evening. It's Hulk Hogan versus Lex Luger for the WCW world title. Bischoff keeps reminding us that Luger used to be in the WWF, but has come to where the big boys play to challenge the WCW world champion. Out comes Hulk Hogan with Jimmy Hart, and he gets pyro and more and more yeah, and, I... more, and more <laughs> and more and more. What we really really need at this juncture of the show is a sh- more pyro because we haven't had enough already the crowd really like Hulk Hogan yeah what's interesting around this time and Adam again you'll verify this from watching mm. some of these nitros with me there's very clear pro Hogan crowds and there's very clear anti Hogan crowds if they're going to any sort of long time NWA WCW hotbeds the crowd are 100% behind Flair and really hate Hogan okay. but, but Hogan always wins it's it's <laughs> it's really interesting to see Hogan do his flipping boot no sell shaky shaky routine with all the crowd booing the shit out of him for once yeah i think that's fascinating I, i'm quite interested. how does he respond to that does he, does he just he still sell it with the same he just bludgeons yeah, through just regardless through yeah they lock up to start and luger backs hogan into the corner lock up again and hogan backs luger into the corner you know fair's fair <laughs> third lock up and hogan does a little bit of wrestling with a drop toe hold into a half nelson and a front face lock oh, i'm not sure i've ever seen that from hogan in the wwf no i don't think you ever did it was I don't yeah. think he needed to do it, did he? And no, I don't think I guess he knew he, needed, he didn't need to do it. There's one thing that I'll point out here, though, that Luger is so oily. <laughs> He's so greasy. He's, like, reflecting light. And I always thought that Hogan was quite an oily character when he came out, but I don't know, what, Luger, I don't know well, what Luger's been doing. Luger's so oily, his hands are so slippy, he can barely adjust his pants. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps slipping off. Point here about the commentary as well. Bischoff calls all those moves and those holds. Well, yeah, and I'll say now that Bischoff's actually quite good. Yes, and I will stick up and say Bischoff is a way better play-by-play announcer than Vince McMahon. Way better. He barely even says the word manoeuvre. He knows the names of moves. (laughs) Although it's something that I've noticed that I do, I kind of slip into it occasionally, I do start talking about manoeuvre or manoeuvres, and I don't know if that is because... Or into your head. Yeah, it's just kind of got into my head, or if that's your default setting that everyone has when they're not quite sure what to say. It's all right to say manoeuvre, but it's not all right to call every move a manoeuvre. Also, Bischoff doesn't have the silly disparity between the two voices. It's something you've brought up on a number of occasions, Adam. Vince has the two voices. It's like he's got split personality. Whereas Bischoff is very able to just talk in a normal voice and then accelerate it where he needs to and And, emphasise the points he needs to. And the commentary team, I think, works very well. You've got Heenan doing the sort of like the the clever colour stuff and you've got Mongo occasionally chipping in. Now, he doesn't say a lot, but occasionally he's got some sort of comedy element or he's there to spark off rivalry with Heenan. Heenan leaving Bischoff to just kind of like call the matches. I think it's actually really quite a nice commentary 
country team. I mean, it was it was interesting that somebody on uh, kind of messages on Facebook recently and given us some feedback on on the shows. And one of the things that they pointed out was my kind of dislike on the early shows for Bobby Heaton. And I was trying to think why, because really, you guys love Heenan, and I yep. typically like all the kind of stuff that you do. And it's kind of thinking, well, why why didn't I like it? And I do wonder if when I was watching the early shows, I was, I was pausing a lot and trying to take lots of notes, and it made the shows very disjointed. And I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but did, I must say, I did like this commentary team. It, it worked for me. I yeah. thought, thought it was very good, actually. I think it's a good mix. It's certainly better than what they've got going on in the WWF at the same time. Suplex by Hogan, but Luger no-sells, adjusts his pants and flexes his muscles. <laughs> He's got all the moves. Side headlock by Lex, running the ropes, and a suplex by Luger. Hogan no-sells and poses. It's a bit 50-50, this match. Yeah. And you know what? The crowd are a bit 50-50 as well at points. There, there are quite a lot of cheers for Luger. Yeah, there's some, there's some chants for Luger, but they do get drowned out by the Hogan overall. Yeah, they circle each other as the crowd chant Hogan. Boot to the gut by Luger, who grabs a headlock, wrenching Hogan down to one knee. Hogan backs Luger into the rope, sending Lex off, who bails to the outside, avoiding a Hogan fist. Hogan rolls him back in and hits a back body drop as Bischoff slags off Diesel on commentary, saying he never made it past mid-card status in WCW. Mm. Luger hits a power slam and signals for the torture rack getting him up. Heenan calls for the bell as Hogan has a bit of a nap. Luger drops Hogan, <laughs> thinking he's won the belt. <laughs> what an idiot. The ref does the, the hold up the arm. Yeah. Three count, but Hogan keeps his arm at his side, so he's yeah. he's keeping his ha- his arm up. If his arm was down, it would be hanging down. But so basically, he raises his heart, his arm, and then just drops it down to half mast, and then he raises it again. It makes no sense, really. But this sort of idiotic character booking of Luger has, has sort of transferred over from the yeah. WWF. His incompetent running at SummerSlam has transferred here. There's another great bit. I think it's in early 1996. Where they go with Luger from here, Paul, is that they have a thing where he's not really a face, he's not really a heel. He sides a bit with the Dungeon of Doom, but he's also mates with Sting. And he ends up tagging with Sting and the Road Warriors come back and there's an awesome promo where the Road Warriors come out and challenge Lex and Sting to a Chicago street fight and Luger accepts. And then the Road Warriors go off and Luger just sort of turns to Sting and goes, what's a Chicago street fight? (laughs) it's like he is booked as a moron it's it's interesting so yeah luger wanders around for a bit thinking he's won the title the ref says no mate you didn't he sort of goes for a cover but hogan kicks out and hulks up big boot and leg drop gets hogan the win no wait the dungeon is back out and they attack Ah, hogan macho and sting make the save and luger is having a bit of a lay down while this goes on the dungeon of doom retreat and jimmy hart enters the ring Hogan and Luger have a shoving match as we go to break. What did you reckon to the match? Uh, I thought there was a lot of stuff crammed into not a lot of time. Because I, I kind of, literally, I, I, I kind of wrote a couple of notes, looked up, and then Hogan was into his routine. And I was, I was like, wow, that, that's like three and a half minutes in, and he's doing his routine in the main event match. In, interesting, if only that Hogan's doing some wrestling moves. I find that quite fascinating. It felt kind of weird that it felt like a Hogan pay-per-view match crammed into three minutes. Yeah. Because he's... I know normally his no-selling comes out of nowhere, but it really came out of nowhere. (laughs) He normally at least spends 15 minutes getting beaten up, doesn't he? Yeah, whereas this was about 30 seconds, torture rack kicks out of a pin, does the whole cup routine. I thought it would have actually been really interesting for them to do a title change here and would have set Nitro up as a must-see show for them to have had Luger win the belt. Mm, yeah. I'm not an advocate of Luger being the world champion in any company, but if you wanted to say to your audience, you've got to tune into this show because anything can happen. Look, we had a title change on our second episode. Like, that would have really set it up as something to watch rather than the sort of schmoz finish that they did. How long at this point has Hogan held the belt for? Since we saw and win it at Bash at the Beach, 94. That was 15 months ago. So, yeah, this guy's just had the belt forever. 
Alright fans, it has erupted here in light of the decision just handed down by the referee for the second consecutive week on Monday Nitro. Again, Hulk Hogan, we have to sort some things out with Fall Brawl coming up this Sunday and War Games. You're short a man. I understand Vader does not qualify to be part of the Hulkamaniacs when you meet the Dungeon of Doom. Well, you know something, me, Gene? War Games is one week away. It's not bad enough that Vader has already gone AWOL. They've got an extra man on us, brother. It's three against four. Luger comes out here, get in my face two weeks in a row, gives me the run for my money, the match of my life, brother. Where are you coming from, Luger? How come they didn't lay their hands on you when they jumped on my back? Which side are you on, brother? I'd like to say double goes for me. I'm asking you also. Hey, 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 hey! Let's hear it, let's hear it. Where are you coming from, Luger? What about it? Oh, hold on, man, just a minute. One at just, a time. Wait a second, just look around here. Look at this. Look at this right here. Does this look like something big? Hey, come on, man. Vader's out of the picture. And it looks like the total package. Come on. With all due respect, he gave even you a run for the money, Hulkster. To me, to me, this would be, this is the team look. This is the deal. No, it's not the team. I'd rather go four versus three. Because if we win, we get the taskmaster. Buddy, I'm going to tell you something. Bottom line, I'd rather know that nobody's on our side helping us rather than getting stabbed in the back by Luger coming in here and showing something different than what needs to happen. Gentlemen, what are the Hey, here? let me just say something, Macho Man. You and I have nothing against each other, right? Exactly. Okay, you want to win war games, right? Exactly. Well, so do I. That means I vote Luger into the team, man. I vote him in. I respect that. But I need to ask you a question. All right, go ahead and ask. How come the Dungeon of Doom attacked Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage and didn't touch you and Jimmy Hart? Wait a minute. Are you saying that I'm not red and yellow? I'm the one, in case you didn't know it, went back to get you and Sting to help the hoster. Okay, gentlemen. Listen to him. Listen to what Jimmy's trying to say. Wait a minute, oh. brothers. Let me put this all together. Are you saying that we should let Lex Luger take Vader's place in war games? Yes, yes. Hoster. Yes. This is America, baby. Innocent to proven guilty. You have the final vote, baby. It looks like it's your call. Bottom line, I vote no. So it's one-to-one, brother, I'm telling you. I got a feeling that he ain't right. You can have, you listen, Macho Man, you can have your vote, but you're only one of four votes. Okay, brother, you want him in, you want him out. I'm torn apart. But the way I look at war games, when you put all the men in the cage, we'll find out what everybody's made of, Luger. Would you be our partner, brother? We want to test you in war games. Yes. I'll step in there in war games and I'll stand with you side by side, blow by blow. But one condition, I want that title shot down the line. You promise me. There's some unfinished business here. He's got an ulterior motive. Back from break and Oakland is in the ring and questions Hogan about his team being a man short for the war games match at Fall Brawl. Hogan says he doesn't know where Luger is coming from and Macho asks the same question. Sting sticks up for Luger and wants him on the team at Fall Brawl. And Macho asks, how come the dungeon didn't touch Luger and Jimmy Hart? The best argument ever occurs. 
Yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it's cracking. <laughs> The sum of it is Luger agrees to be on the team but wants a title shot down the line. And my final note for this is Paul wet himself during this yeah. argument. I, th- I thought this whole bit was just absolutely hilarious. So it, it's the kind of thing that if you stuck half a dozen insane drunk people in a wrestling <laughs> ring and just let them go at it, I reckon that's what you'd get. Can you do Macho Man's exactly? Exactly! No, that wasn't. Exactly! Adam? Exactly. Yeah, it's that second okay. warrior. Exactly. And I do wonder if he's actually trying to say exactly. <laughs> I just think he's drawling it out. It's brilliant. Interesting. It's, it's just really silly. Yeah. Really, really silly. Back to the announced desk and Mongo has his dog Pepe dressed as a little mariachi. This is the final icing on the cake as to why I think this commentary team is brilliant. <laughs> as a dog. I don't, I don't, every time he's got this little tiny dog, which just is the best behaved dog in the world, isn't it, really? And it just sits there in different outfits all the time. Especially, I love the one where there's one, Paul, you would love this, where he's got those spring eye goggle glasses. <laughs> yes, on his that fucking, is brilliant. On a fucking chihuahua. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, Paul, every week for about the next six months, that dog has a different outfit on. It's like there's a shop where he goes on a weekly basis and it's like, what silly costume have you got for my dog see, this see, week? I, I would worry holding a dog on a show with that much pyro that I would get messed on. <laughs> He very probably did. Yeah, we're watching them and you, one of us will say, is that dog wearing fucking sunglasses? <laughs> it's a dog in shades. But cool. It, it seems completely unaffected by this. I don't know whether they've doped it, it up. up. Yeah. But Maybe what a stuffed. What an amazing dog. Anyway, that's the end of Nitro. So, which show did you prefer? Nitro. Adam? Nitro. I'm going to go with Nitro. It's got the Dungeon of Doom and everything blows up. Well, let's talk about the reasons why, Paul. I thought that there was no real filler. It, it, it was all kind of, for me, relevant content that I want to see, even though I wasn't massively keen on the, the Sting. IRS. The IRS or Wall Street match, whatever. It was It was all kind of, you know, big names, putting in decent performances. Storylines were developing. As Adam said, there's lots of pyro, so everything, everything kind of blows up. The commentary was good. There wasn't the like little bits of, like you had with Lawler and Vince, when Vince is doing the interview in the ring where they're talking over him. Yeah. And you can't tell what's going on. And you've got little bits of comedy. I know it sounds a really stupid thing, but like the little bit with the dog, the, the whole section at the end I thought was just hilarious. So for me, kind of, you know, referring back to you know your question at the start, Nitro's kind of ticked those things off the list that I was looking for. Okay. Whereas Raw only partially addressed them. Adam? I think that there's, there's a few things that I think the quality of matches was overall better and more interesting. I mean, I think you've got there's the stuff like the Sabu match where you've you've added a bit of sort of the hardcore element it felt a bit more adult you're not going to see anything like that in the WWF really no, absolutely at, not. at this time you've got a better announced team you've got slicker production values this looks like a better show it looks like it's got more of an adult theme and it's got the Dungeon of Doom man <laughs> if you've got Earthquake and Kamala running out under the tutelage of Kevin Sullivan for no reason <laughs> out of like a out of a 60s Batman sketch it's just it's fantastic uh, yeah and I think I think actually one of those points in there about just it looks like it's a bigger deal yeah presentation like that is just very important you just present it in that way it's surprising how easy it is to be suckered in by it however savvy you might be subconsciously you do buy it yeah it's really easy to understand watching these two shows next to each other how it was quite easy for Bischoff to just basically take the heads of some of the WWF audience and go look over here yeah yeah for me it I, boils... like, I like to suggest you there thank yeah. you for me it boils down to star power yeah mm. 
on this show, you have Ric Flair cutting a promo, Sting, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan. Yeah. The WWF at this time cannot compete. I know there are people we like in the WWF and stuff, and Shawn Michaels is one of their biggest stars, but Shawn Michaels isn't a former world champion at this point. He was no. the biggest star on that show, whereas WCW had these big names. Now, you might not be a fan of Hogan, but people are still fans of Sting. People are still fans of Flair. And Savage, seeing this makes me really feel that Vince made the bloody wrong call in 94, yeah. you know, believing Macho was too old yeah. and had to be behind the announce desk because Definitely. he looked awesome in his match and really did a lot for his opponent as well. Yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder what could Macho have done for them in 94, 95 if Vince had said, all right, get back in the ring, see what you can do. And you've, you've also got a smattering of other people that maybe are not, they're not a Hogan, but they're a recognisable face that he's, yeah. that he's swooped in there and he's taken. Uh, so uh, like I say, you've got your Earthquake, you've got your Kamala, you've got Luger, you've got these people that people are like, oh, hang on a minute, I know them, I'm going to watch and see what they're doing with but, them. But even for some, for me, someone like Sabu coming in, he's kind of got that, I guess at the time would have that element of mystery, yeah. that, that he wouldn't be known by quite a large proportion of a national audience at the time. But really. you would have a lot of hardcore fans that would then tune in to see him on yeah. there yeah the other characteristic of these early nitros is yes that you've got in the upcoming weeks you'll see people like chris benoit eddie guerrero dean malenko turn up on this show and have really really good matches in wow. those opening segments and mm-hmm. then you'll get your craziness with hogan and the dungeon of doom in the main event the, so this this filling all expectations yeah the, the, this was really a very good product i think for for the time and i know you said they've got some development to do to be the product that they want to be but given how early on this is it's a very healthy start absolutely so who won this first week of the wars ratings wise there seems to be a tad bit of conflicting information bischoff's autobiography suggests nitro won with a 2.5 <laughs> to raw's 2.2 this was verified by the pro wrestling torch so i checked it there and that did list that but some other sources online suggest that raw was the winner with a 2.5 compared to nitro with a 2.4 what's interesting here is that nitro unopposed on its first week scored a 2.5 rating in the lead up to the launch of nitro in interviews vince mcmahon had talked about wcw dividing the wrestling audience while launching a show directly opposite his own but it would seem that these figures indicate that that's not quite the case there is different audiences for different things and there were people that just weren't just watching raw because that was the only show on on monday night they didn't watch it because they didn't want to watch it yeah overall 4.5 million households watched pro wrestling on this particular monday night in september 1995 as it wasn't really a pay-per-view we've watched today there was no elongated performances really we're going to sort of forego match of the night and mvp we've discussed which show we kind of preferred but adam would you like to give a mullet of the night award Luger's always in the running, but he's underperformed next to Billy Gunn's spectacular effort, I think. That was the standout hairpiece on display. Is this his second Mullet of the Night award? He really is, yeah. He's going to start making a collection of his own top trumps. Well, I guess he'll have to have a second top trump. Well, your hair can change from from time to time, and... it's not a static thing. It's not like Bob Holly. <laughs> it's fluid. Bob Bob Holly, if you if you did his hair now, would would be very different scores, particularly length. It'd, it'd be running in on zeros, I think. So that just leaves us to run down the different ways you can find us. You can find us at facebook.com slash new generation project podcast. We are also on Twitter at the slightly simpler New Gen Podcast. 
We are on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash newgenpodcast, and you can search for us on Stitcher Radio as well. All of our episodes, as soon as they are available, go up on piledriverwrestling.net, and we're in the process of posting our back catalogue on botchamania.com as well. If you want to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe in iTunes. Leave us a nice little write-up and five stars. It would be much appreciated. Episode 19 will be In Your House 3. You know a bit of that card. You looking forward to it? I'm looking forward to it. I'm just going to warn you, there'll be less pyro than nitro. Okay. Kind of expecting that. London 2012 closing ceremony had less pyro <laughs> than nitro. So you got anything interesting coming up, Paul? Oh, well, we all have. Have we? we we're going to go and see uh, England against India in the fourth test, the second day at Old Trafford. You looking forward to it? Greatly. Adam? Indeed, yes. Well, I mean, we'll all be dressing up, obviously. It's only the second time that I've ever gone to see any test cricket, and the first time that I went was the coldest recorded day of test cricket in this country. Yep. So I'm hoping it's going to be warmer. So if you want to have a chat with us this Friday, if you're listening to it before, we'll, we'll be tweeting from there, yeah. I presume, Paul? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll try and get some wrestling stuff going there. Related tweets yeah. going on. So, yes, we will bid you adieu for this episode. My name is Stuart Brooks. Goodbye. I'm Adam Weitz. Goodbye. I'm Paul Scribbins. Bye-bye. The day has gone I'm still all alone How could this be? You're not here with me Come on Never said goodbye Someone tell me why Did you have to go Need me a world so cold Brrr. Day after And ask myself Did I love slip away Something whispers In my ear And says No one alone I'll be really creeped out by that I'm still here with you Though you're far away You've got a mobile phone I am here to stay Ooh, I'm not alone We'll just stop this now I am here with you Though far apart Is this Techno Team 2000 time coming again? Within my heart You are far alone Quite a lot of repetition in this song Just the other night <laughs> you cry Asking me to come And hold you in my arms What else would I hold you in? I can hear your prayers Burdens I will bear I think they've spelled that wrong Wrong top bear Eat your hands Forever can begin Every day I see as myself Take the little slip away Something whispers in my ear And says 
tea or coffee, tea or coffee. God alone, <laughs> I am here with you. Though you're far away, probably miles away, I am here to stay. Still this distance problem. You are not alone. Third, far apart, always in my heart. Romantic, you are not alone, or maybe just reassuring. Oh, words, and I'll come running. Ah, girl, you know, I'll be there. I'll be. You are not alone, big key change. But I am here with you. Oh, this suits my voice better. Though you're far away, I am here to stay. For you are not alone. But I am here with you. Stuart Adam. Where's this going? <laughs> but I'm here with you. I'm here with you. <laughs> <laughs>